And that is a wrap, not for our show, of course, but for the NBA show, the regular season, the playoffs, the finals. As we know, it is concluded. And if memory serves me correct, I wish Chris was here. He is uh, out today. He'll be back with us on Monday. Gary Dickman with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Before the finals started, I believe I was the one who picked Golden State in six. And I also say pretty often I don't really like making predictions. I just kept thinking Golden State was going to win from last year. And I know I've said that a few times. When they were healthy, they're going to really get more motivation because of their struggles. And I had forgotten that the first year after Durant, they had the worst record in the NBA in the shortened season. They didn't even get invited to the bubble or they declined it. But they come back healthy, fairly healthy. And as we all know now, they do win it in six. What I find kind of funny in a way, or almost ironic as well, is a little over a week ago when the Celtics had that 2-1 lead, series lead, people were saying they're just a better team. They're going to win the series. And, you know, after they won game one at Golden State in San Fran at Chase Center, then they're up 2-1 after game three in Boston. They got home court, and last Friday, Steph Curry happened. 43 points happened from Steph Curry. We know, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, I, not that I had no doubt. I just felt they were the best team. They had the best weapon. And any time it comes down to a close game, or if you need somebody to take you over that hump, put a team on his back, Steph Curry's that guy. And he had pretty good complimentary pieces. I actually was a little surprised, in a way, that Andrew Wiggins really became the second fiddle. You know, Robin to Steph's Batman instead of Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson didn't have a bad finals. He didn't have a good finals. He was probably better in the Western Conference finals against Dallas. Remember, uh, Clay Thompson, as usual in Game 6, except for yesterday, but game six against Dallas, he had, I believe, 32 points in that series clincher. Yesterday, he struggled offensively, only uh, five of 20 shooting, pretty bad there. But that's kind of the point of Golden State. You got Draymond struggling for a while, and he can come back. And as he said in his own words, I dominated yesterday. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he did have a very good game. He had a double-double, almost had a triple-double if he would have gotten uh, two more assists. He was better defensively, better with his passing, and he still is afraid to shoot, though. Still is afraid to shoot, although he, he almost had to take those threes yesterday because he was too open. And he ended up taking five three-pointers, which is probably the most he has taken in a long, long time. It's really something to see because he, coming into the league, or maybe three or four years ago, Draymond, excuse me, Draymond Green was an actual, actually a pretty good three-point shooter. And little by little, he's just lost a confidence, and that's what I mean when I say he's afraid to shoot. Going back to what I said a minute ago about Boston, I, I, and I'm not talking about, you know, people that listen to our show necessarily or people here. It's really the national media. There were so many people writing about it, talking about it on talk shows, radio, and TV, that Boston was just better. Again, when they were up 1-0 and 2-1, that's taking the easy way out to me. I mean, I, I, I pick Golden State. I'm going to stick with them. If they lose, well, okay, I was wrong. And, you know, I wasn't guaranteeing they would win. But for people to also all of a sudden assume, and maybe it wasn't all of a sudden, 
but assume that Boston was a better team. I know they got Tatum and Brown. I mean, they really had good series against Miami. They had a few good games each against Golden State. Although uh, Jason Tatum seems to be the poster child for the blame of this loss, it seems like. I don't think that's necessarily fair, although he, he deserves a lot of criticism. Disappeared again basically yesterday, got in early foul trouble, didn't cost him down the stretch, but he shot 33%. A very quiet 13 points on 6 of 18 shooting, only three rebounds, and on three pointers, one for four. And I don't know if he was just fatigued or what it was. I think in a way, and I know he's that good, but in a way he's also not that good. He's not one of the five best players in the NBA. He's not one of the ten best players in the NBA, in my opinion. And that's one thing I know that's going to be talked about a lot, not by me today. If you guys want it, you can. As far as where Steph Curry ranks on the top five or ten of all time, did the finals MVP cement his legacy and all that? You know, I, I used to get caught up in the LeBron and Kobe and Michael Jordan comparisons and who was the GOAT. But over the years, you realize there's no right answer, there's no wrong answer. What I mean by that, everybody can have opinion, and there's really no way to say one guy is better than the other, depending on how you look at it. So I've kind of shied away from that. With Steph Curry, as I've been saying for the last few weeks when that talk started heating up, that's not going to do a lot to me on his resume. And I've heard a few people like Kornheiser and Wolbot echo that today on PTI. It's not like he's a better – he's not higher up on my list of top five or ten players, not that I have a list, but he's not higher up on the list today than he was a week ago just because he won the finals MVP. It's an ad, It's important. I'm not trying to dismiss it as not being a big factor, but he already proved himself over his 13-year career how great he was. How, how he changed the game of basketball. I was listening last night on ESPN Honolulu to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, and very rarely do they take phone calls. Maybe they took this call because they thought it would be funny, whoever um, answered the phones there. Because this guy calls in, and they were talking about the same topic that I, I don't want to get into, is where does Steph Curry rank? Uh, is he definitely a top ten now? And the perception of how it changes. And this guy calls up, I think he was from Denver, and he said that Steph Curry, first of all, is not a top ten player of all time. He didn't change the game. And they could not – They as soon as he said those two words, those two phrases, they lost it. Uh, Jay Will and Max started talking over him and laughing and kind of belittling the guy. And I can understand that. And he said in his own defense that Reggie Miller was the one who really started the three-point surge that we see today. And nobody agreed with that. I think Reggie Miller, well, we know he's a great three-point shooter. He wasn't shooting as deep as Steph, and that's kind of how he changed the game. And as Jay Williams pointed out, when you take threes before Steph, most guys took it you know, within a foot of the three-point line. Only after Steph, the guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic shoot him from 35, 40 feet out and close to the midcourt than maybe the three-point line. So I'm not going to rank Steph Curry per se. What did surprise me, though, about him winning the MVP, maybe it surprised me a little more than I thought I would, is that it meant a lot to him. And I didn't think that it wouldn't mean anything, but if you were either listening to our coverage yesterday on ESPN Honolulu, the post game, and maybe saw some of the highlights with the interviews on ESPN Sports Center throughout the night, he was a little emotional. 
you know, he, he, he said it meant a lot to him. He, it really did. And when they announced his name, you could see he got emotional again. And he made a few comments after the game, you know, uh, kind of adhering to that, acknowledging that, excuse me, that it did mean a lot to him. It's one of the things he didn't have. Although when he sat at the podium in the media room, the first question was about being finals MVP. And this was kind of almost hypocritical in a way. Steph pounded the table and said, do we have to talk about that? I'm paraphrasing, but he did pound the table. But he said, do we have to talk about that right now? Would the team just want a championship? He was more about the team than the MVP. And that's what I thought his priority would have been, just not that I know Steph, but watching him from a distance and hearing him all these years, how he presents himself, that the team was going to be more important. Now, one thing I will say, and you can give us your opinion at 808-296-1420 with a call or via the Zephyr Insurance text line, I'm not going to compare Steph with some of the other players, per se. But I will say this about Steph Curry, if you want to compare him to LeBron James, because those comparisons are coming out now that they have both won four NBA titles. And you're hearing all that. Well, where do they stand? Where do they compare? To me, it's Steph Curry. And this is the reason why. LeBron James chased championships, to quote Norm Chow. He didn't get one in Cleveland, so he left to form a super team in Miami. Got two, two in four years. Went to the finals all four years. We know he came back to Cleveland, got the one there. And then we know he got the one in the Lakers that I don't give him full credit for, and maybe that's just me. I think the bubble changed that whole playoff because, as I've said numerous times, you don't get home court in the bubble. And the regular season dictates who gets home court. You're rewarded with home court. And I feel that if Milwaukee would have had home court, they would have been in the NBA Finals instead of Miami. I also think the Clippers getting home court would not have lost to Denver in seven games. I think that home court would have helped them get over that hump. Still, the Lakers don't have to apologize. It's just that I don't give LeBron as much credit. Still, he did it with three teams, and that's fine. It's not. It shouldn't take away that much from his resume, but it does take a little bit to me away when I look at him and Steph Curry. Steph Curry, I, I you know, it's one of the few guys in sports you can never see in another uniform. Although I said that about Michael Jordan, I guess, too. And although I look at that situation a little bit differently, he was almost forced out because of Jerry Krause, the GM, dismantling that three-peat championship team. And he still wanted to play a little. But it wasn't like he left Chicago to go play with Washington. He left Chicago, became the owner, and then played. And to me, it just wasn't the same. But, yeah, he, he did play again. But guys like Kobe Bryant, some of the greats, you know, they just stayed with one team, and there was talk over the years that maybe Kobe would leave. He even talked about that in the later years, that he thought he was getting traded to Chicago. At one point, he was also thinking about signing a free agent deal with the Clippers at another point, but he was loyal. And I'm not trying to put down Shaquille O'Neal, but he's another guy like LeBron in a way. He kept leaving. He's won four titles, three in L.A., one in Miami. Remember, he went to Phoenix. He went to Cleveland. He played with LeBron in Cleveland. He played with the Boston Celtics, if people don't remember. And, again, it's within the rights of the system with free agency. Any player can do that. I would never criticize him for that. But to me, I admire the guys that stayed. I mean, this team fell apart when Kevin Durant left and Klay Thompson was out for the 2019-20 season. I think they were 15-50 and 50 in the bubble. They didn't finish the season, as we know. And they didn't go down to Orlando to play in any of those games. They were awful. 
And I know some people were taking shots at Steph Curry, which is another thing I learned yesterday that might have surprised, did surprise me a little. Steph Curry was mentioning this. Clay Thompson specifically mentioned it. Uh, even Draymond on the stage. They realized what was being said about them. Draymond said, we hear all the chatter. Steph Curry acknowledged that as well. Clay Thompson quoted the tweet from Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies from back in, I think, February or March when they beat Golden State. And Clay Thompson, you probably heard the quote, calling him kind of a, a freaking bum. Uh, he had some nice comments yesterday, uh, Clay Thompson. used the phrase, holy cannoli, while he was on the stage getting interviewed by Lisa Salters. But it's, it appeared that their big three in Golden State did take a little offense. I thought they would be like, I, it's not going to bother me. I'm not going to let it affect me. It's just people who don't have the knowledge or the experience to realize what we've been through, what we've accomplished, and what we're about to accomplish. But they all three separately said that some of that outside noise did affect them. And, again, that, that did surprise me a little bit, and that's fine that it did. Uh, but people were really – the people that picked against them, I think, were wrong. And, again, there was no guarantees they were going to win. It's just that people had written them off. Clay will never be the same. Draymond's getting older. He's getting out of hand. You know, he gets the text. Steph's going to get old. And, you know, he's 34. I think he's 33, will be 34 this year, and he's been in the league 13 years, which is going to bring me to another topic, and I'll give you guys a head start in this as we'll cover this later, and I want to get your opinion on this. A couple of future NBA topics. One, if you were going to pick a team for next year, one team to win it all, not a team. You can do it with a team separately or just three or four players who you think are maybe going to be the best in the NBA next year. And then also to the future of, let's say, four to five years. Because when you look at Steph Curry being 34, LeBron was he 37, he'll be 38, I believe, in December. On the 27th, I believe, is his birthday. Four or five years from now, we're going to have, maybe over the course of that time, not all at once, but a changing of the guard. We're not going to have LeBron James in the league five years from now. I, I don't think. I mean, he's going to play with his son, Bronny, and he has said that repeatedly. I don't know if he's going to play much more than that. And he still had a great year. We know that. But I don't think he's going to be around in five years. I can't guarantee that Steph will be gone in five years. But I have a feeling he could be. I mean, at 39, and let's say you win another two championships. I'm just putting a round number there. I can see him out of basketball by then as well. There is, I, I think Kevin Durant will probably be out of basketball. I mean, he's getting injured. I mean, he loves the game. He's really passionate about it. But I don't think he's doing it for the money like maybe some others. He's already been there and done that as far as winning. So I can see him not in the NBA four or five years from now. So I, I want to get your pick. And I already got my list, and it might even surprise you uh, who I have. I have four guys for the next four years that I would pick as far as the players that are going to rise to the top of the NBA. And I want to get yours a little bit later as well. I think it'll be you know, hopefully fun for all of us because the season is over, but we do have the draft next Thursday. We'll have coverage here on ESPN Honolulu. And, of course, free agency starting in less than two weeks on July 1st. And there are a lot of names, and I'll go over some of them later as well. Uh, coming up, we got a great show. We're going to get the reaction in San Fran from our good friend Larry Beal who's a sports anchor at KGO-TV in San Fran. He'll be giving us the latest, and I know he was outside Chase Center yesterday, I believe, covering the fans' reaction there. Also, coming up in about 
15 minutes from now, our very own Bobby Curran is going to join the show. You probably saw the uh, article in yesterday's Star Advertiser. I know he was on with Kanoa Leahy, I believe, today, and Josh Pacheco yesterday, uh, just talking about what's ahead for him uh, with his uh, need of a double lung transplant. So we'll have Bobby give us the latest and talk about exactly what's going on so everybody can be informed. He wanted to let the listeners know about that. I will let him know. I'm not sure if he's been paying attention. We've got a lot of great texts from our listeners for Bobby. So that'll be coming up a little bit later as well. We'll get your calls and texts. Some more NBA talk as well with the animals here on ESPN Honolulu on this Aloha Friday afternoon. It's Aloha Friday with the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. Chris is out today. Gary Dickman here, Keegan Ota in our downtown Paxa studios. You know, I do have a poll question up. I'd like to see people's response. We actually have a pretty decent response so far, but it is simply this. Which NBA championship run by a team do you think is the best? So it's not a team just winning a championship. Like we had Milwaukee last year. If you want to put that, you can. But I had four options. This is Golden State, and this is basically winning their fourth in eight years. Chicago Bulls won six in eight years. Lakers with a couple of three-peats. And then the Boston Celtics, basically in the 60s and 70s, a few in the 80s as well, whatever run you want to take. And I'm just curious what you guys think. So you can go to Sports Animals on Twitter. Be up until right before 6 o'clock. I gave you the four choices. Right now, here are the results early on. Chicago with 50%, Golden State and the Lakers with 19%, and Boston with 12%. I can understand Boston at the bottom right now because when they won their championship, I mean, the last championship, well, they did win, what is it, in 2010, I believe, um, with Pierce Garnett uh, beating the Lakers. That was one, obviously, you know, 12 years ago. But before that, it was all basically in the 80s. They didn't win anything in the 90s. So you know, when you think about Larry Bird and Dennis Johnson and McHale and Parrish, I'm not sure how many of our listeners would remember that dynasty or championship run as much as the Bulls of the 90s. Uh, the Lakers throughout almost every decade. And, of course, Golden State right now. So I, I would pick Chicago. Now, one of the things I heard, I don't remember who I heard it from first, or to me, I was I kind of was taught this. A dynasty, and again, we can all define it how you want, because that's the word being thrown around now with Golden State. I don't consider them a dynasty. Again, the way it was described to me when I was pretty young was you have to win three championships in a row. Now, again, to each his own, how you define it and bring it down. Back-to-back championships in any sport, not that they happen all the time, but they're a lot more frequent. Winning three in a row, I think, puts you in a different class, on a different level, the dynasty level. And I would have the Bulls there, definitely. Golden State, they won back-to-back in 2017 and 18. Boston was a dynasty way back when. And I'm not penalizing them, but in the early years, let's say the 60s, they didn't have as many rounds. You didn't have to win 16 playoff games. Now, it shouldn't, again, it shouldn't penalize them on my list, but it, in a way it does. I just think what the Bulls had to overcome those six and eight years, and who knows what it would have been if Michael Jordan played instead of being in baseball those middle years. To me, they're the best dynasty. 
Uh, Golden State is on the verge, though. And when you go to, you know, four finals, was it four finals in a row? Actually, yeah, it was four finals in a row. Uh, I mean, that's incredible. You know, they, they lost once to Cleveland. They lost once to Toronto. So, actually, they went to five in a row, I should correct myself. Because they did win in 2015, 17, and 18, and now 22. I, I would consider them real close. They'd be second on my list. And it's, you know, an opinion thing. But if you want to vote, go to at Sports Animals uh, on, on the Twitter page and give us your vote. We'll update this every now and then and see what you guys think. And I have another NBA topic. I know I'm giving different things to vote on, so to speak. That's our Twitter poll. But I heard Draymond Green uh, a couple of days ago. This is before yesterday's game six. And he was saying, I know, I know he's in business with LeBron James. I think they have the same management company with Rich Paul. <clears throat> and he's very close to LeBron. He was drinking his tequila uh, after the game yesterday. He said, LeBron James is the smartest player by far he's ever seen in the NBA. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. And first I'll tell you why. I, I mean, from a fan's perspective, it's really different. From a fan or media's perspective, it's different than a player. Player sees a lot more, of course, than we do. But from our perspective, we know LeBron is one of the most talented. That doesn't make him the most smart. And I'm not saying he's not smart. One thing he has is a great memory. Have you ever heard him after a game? I know he's done it after playoff games over the years. Somebody will ask him about a play early in the fourth quarter or middle of the fourth. He'll recite every possession for both teams for like an eight, nine, ten-minute stretch. And he's done it repeatedly. And I don't think he's doing it to show off. He just has an amazing memory to be able to do that. And I know he's, again, he's real smart. He's also, to me, a freak of nature with his size. How many... Six eight six nine guys at 270 can play like that. You know, have the speed and everything else that he has. I mean, he's always going to be one of the greatest players, no matter how you rank him. He's got to be up there near the top. But I have a few on my list, and they might surprise you. I'll just give you a, 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 a hint. None of them are playing now. Not that we don't have uh, smart players, but I've got three, and I thought about it, you know, for you know a little while last night thinking about who came to my mind first, and I'll give you reasons later. We'll save that for a little bit later. We are going to talk some uh, U.S. Open golf. I know Keegan took joy in what the live golfers did or didn't do so far uh, before the cut today, and we'll get into that. We also have some Major League Baseball talk, and I will give you my version. I've never seen this before, and I guess you're always going to see something different in sports. I think, in my opinion, I saw a pitcher cheat to get a no-hitter, and I'll tell you all about that as well. Uh, a lot of NBA talk, as I mentioned, some more MLB talk. I also got some NFL talk, of course. But when we come back, we will be joined by Bobby Curran, giving us the latest with his health, and hopefully we'll hear some encouraging news. Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday afternoon on ESPN. Honolulu, Gary Dickman here, Chris Off, and of course, Keegan Ota, in our downtown Paxa studios. And joining us now, uh, it's great to hear his voice. We'll get the latest with what's going on with our very own Bobby Curran. Hey, Bobby, how's everything going? Hey, Gary, everything's going pretty well. Thank you. Well, it's good to hear from you, and I know our listeners are very concerned. Uh, we saw the article by Stephen Sy in yesterday's paper, and I know you've been letting listeners know on Josh's show and Kanoa's show about what the latest is, but for our listeners who haven't maybe heard the whole story, can you give us the latest as far as your health is concerned? Well, I, I have developed over the course of 
the last, I don't know, year and a half, I guess, uh, what was at first diagnosed as a very mild emphysema, it, that has gotten, that has changed. So it has gotten more serious as time has gone on. So I am oftentimes short of breath. I have now, I'm armed with oxygen tanks and all oxygen conditioners and you name it. Because there's nothing, I don't know if anyone's ever had the experience, but when you can't get a breath, it's terrifying. It's really a scary deal. So I, I you know, I've gone and, and checked out all of the latest, you know, what are the latest options. And actually, there are some really positive developments. They have separated, used to be one, one surgery. They used to transplant a heart and two lungs at the same time. That's now not done anymore. Now they did the heart separately, the lungs separately, and it's been more successful for both organs. So, you know, and I, there's a number of places around the country that do it. Um, it's, listen, it's major surgery. There's no, there's no messing around about that. I mean, you could kid yourself, but that's what it is. So, and there is a, a complicated procedure for qualifying. You have to become a, you know, you're, you're a candidate. I guess I'm a candidate now. And then I have to go and take the candidate test, which is essentially six days of tests. I have selected the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, because of a connection that my doctor has there, but it just seemed like the right place. They're very, very good. They're one of America's best hospitals. So, and I'm going through that process now. So it, the labyrinth of not just insurance, but as anybody who's been through this knows, between or with parents or siblings or children even, God forbid, but it, you, know, you have to get an Akamai on this stuff. You have to figure out how to navigate the bureaucracy. And that starts with the Mayo Clinic itself, and then it's your insurance company, and mine's HMAA, and they seem like they're on it pretty much. And then, of course, work. So, I mean, it, it's really a process. So that, I'm engaged in that now. I'm, I, I talk to someone at the Mayo Clinic every day because I'm kind of feeling like everything in my life that has ever worked well, I've you know, started a relationship with people. And I feel, why would they be any different? So I've got a couple of people that I, I'm on a first-name basis with already there. So, you know, is this challenging? You bet it is. But I, I'm going to tell you now why I wanted to do this, why I wanted to be public about it, because I'd been sick two years ago. You probably remember I couldn't speak. And it turned out to be really something that was not on the face of it that serious. It was a combination of acid reflux and sleep apnea. And those things worked against each other kind of, which I didn't know at the time. So, but I did learn something because all we ever said was Bobby has the day off or Bobby's out sick today or whatever. And that just led to people having rumors and, you know, wondering what the heck. So I just thought this is like for two reasons. I don't want to do that. First of all, I just kind of feel like we're in the, you know, we're in a business where people expect us to tell the truth. I just want to be transparent about what this is. That's number one. And number two, I'm just thinking of my, I had a grandmother that would not go to the doctor because she was worried that something was serious. By the time she went, it was not only serious, it was too late to do much about it. And I just thought, I tell you a story. If I tell my story and people hear it, they, if it gets one person to say, you know what, if he did it, I can do it. Let me just go to the doctor and find out what the heck this is. I figured we're going to, you know, we might save a life or two. And that, you know, what more can you hope for in your, in your own life and to maybe be a, uh, a resource for good for other people? So anyway, that's, that was the twofold idea of why I wanted to get this out. I wanted people to know. I don't want anyone to have to guess. Uh, 
I remember when I when I first went, I went to the NCAA tournament. We were playing in Dayton. You, you'll remember this, Gary. And and this is what happens with people. So I had flown to uh, from you know to from Hawaii to LA to Detroit, and then to Dayton. There was someone that called up and said they saw Bobby was drunk in the Minneapolis airport and missed his plane. I have, never, I have still to this day never been to the Minneapolis airport, although it looks like that day is coming soon. So, I, I, you know, it's just, and I think if you're somewhat, if you're working somewhat in the public, that kind of stuff happens. I just thought, let's eliminate that. I'm just going to tell everybody exactly what this is. Is right. it stressing to our family? Yeah, but it's like, listen, this is part of life. Nobody gets, you know, nobody rides for free here. So anyway, it's my turn, and that's, I'm going to do it with, Whatever grace and dignity I can bring to bear on the topic. Well, I give you credit for what you, how you approached it. Bobby Curran joining us here with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. I'm hoping it's okay to ask a few questions. As you mentioned, you're hopefully yeah, going go up go and getting six days of test. After you get six days of test, if they're going to take you to the next step in this process, do you stay there? Or do you have to come back and wait until you go back one more time? Well, initially I'll come back, but, but soon, at some point, if they accept me as a candidate, I will have to move to Rochester, Minnesota. That's, that's a, that's, there's no way around that. I've talked to a number of people who had transplants at, there and other places already, and that's just part of the deal because you have, from the time they find your donor, you have four hours to get to the hospital so, and, get, and prepare. So there's no... You know, and they said, look, you don't have to be there. You don't have to move forever. You don't have to become a Minnesota resident. But they said, expect that maybe you might have to be there seven months. Another fellow who's from here, from Honolulu, is an attorney in Honolulu. He had it at St. Joseph's in uh, Phoenix, and he was in Phoenix for nine months. So, I mean, it's just that's how it is. There's no – you'd love to – I that, to me, was the first one. I'm like, holy smokes, I can't imagine. I'd be away from my family. I and mean, hopefully my wife, who is a registered nurse anyway, will come for a little bit in the beginning. But, you know, we've got two teenagers. She's going to be back here. So we'll have to hire caregivers. And you know, there's a bunch of things that go along with this. But that's, you know, that's just what it is. So I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to try and get really healthy and, and have a lot of good years left. Well, yeah, hopefully the long one that will benefit everybody as far as that's concerned. You know, one thing I just was made aware of uh, from yesterday's article, and maybe you can clarify to our listeners as well, your doctor has given you clearance to do a couple of shows a week as far as the Bobby Curran show in the morning, correct? Yeah, the only thing he worried, he said, look, what you don't want is you don't want to get fatigued to the point where you have, you develop a comorbidity, which a comorbidity just means something else wrong with you, basically. So I, you know, I don't have any of those right now, which, you know, high blood pressure or high cholesterol or, you know, heart trouble or liver trouble or kidney trouble. I don't have any of those. So he said, but fatigue makes, you know, uh, what's the old expression? Fatigue makes cowards of us all. It's like you can develop those if you're not careful. And he just said, well, you're crazy. It's crazy right now to do something that's overly stressful. So you do ease in a couple of shows a week. And uh, I, I can't even get work. I have to still get work to approve because he had written a note to that effect, but they want more specifics. They're wondering, how do I get down the hall? And you know, how do I get from the parking lot to the deal? And that's generally not his deal, but we're going to try to make it his deal because they, they want that before I come back to work. 
So in any case, I am, I'm working hard to do what they're telling me to do, Gary. It's like I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm a great patient, but I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that, hey, what does the doctor know? I'm not that guy. I mean, they're right. telling me to do this stuff, and I'm going to do this stuff because this is like critical – we're down at a critical juncture here. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're aware since you've been out this week, but our text line that we always refer to, the Zephyr Insurance uh, text line, there have been so many texts this week from listeners who, when hearing about it, have offered their support, their prayer, their well wishes. I mean, there's been a lot of really, really nice, sincere texts coming your way. So I'm not sure if you were aware of it. I just want to make sure you are. And that was really nice of our listeners to send their thoughts well, and prayers to you. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of personal ones from people I haven't heard. You know, there's a lot of people in our circles that we – you know, and you talk to, but you don't see them or hear from them very often. I'm getting, I'm getting a ton from those people. I'm very grateful for everybody who's supportive. I think a lot of people can put themselves into, you know, into their imagination. They can put themselves into a serious health issue. I think everyone knows how disruptive it can be to a family. Many of our listeners have experienced it themselves. They know what this is like this kind of thing, if not, not this specifically. So I am extremely grateful for the well wishes and prayers. Uh, listen, I, my mother used to say, you can't have enough prayers. More prayers, the better. I just right. ran into a, a, a lady who painted our house. She's a painter, and she has, is having her own health problems, and she ran into me and had seen the story and you know, that kind of thing. And so, I, you know, it's one of those things you start to make a human connection with people, which is great. That's what we do. That's what it's about. So, on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm hanging in there. On a daily basis, are you in a lot of discomfort or pain? I mean, you sound really good right now, at least. That's... Well, when I'm sitting down, like doing, I, that's why I, think, I told them I can do shows. Because I can, if I'm sitting and I'm not stressed. Now, if you made me run up the stairs, literally 10 stairs to my bedroom, I will have to sit down and rest. I can get dizzy. I could be, it can be a problem. But on a flat level, if I'm here and I have like the, I don't, not even using the oxygen right now, I feel fine. But I, that's not always the case. So it does come and go. I have good days and bad days, sort of thing. But it is related to the doctor just tells me, hey, I got two words for you slow down. You've got to be really be careful of your pace. You've got to be going slowly. That's, that's the deal. He goes, there's going to come a point when this is fixed, when this is done. And you're going to be able to resume. You'll be able to jog if you want. You could run a half a marathon if you like. I mean, he's he's laying out all the, the lovely things. Although I've never considered running marathons to be great anyway. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. That's not me, really. But, but you know, God, would I love to play four-on-four four basketball? You bet I would. Well, we appreciate you joining us and giving us the latest and disclosing all this information. I know everybody's really behind you and thinking of you. Before I let you go, I know our listeners and myself would love to hear about something that you enjoy talking about even more is basketball. What were your thoughts on the NBA Finals? I had predicted correctly at the start that Golden State would win it in six. I When it was, they were down 2-1, when they were down 2-1, I said, this one might go seven because I still thought Golden State was the better team. I didn't have any doubt that Golden State had the best player on the floor. Uh, and I thought the most consistently good player on the floor. And I think that's true in Steph Curry, who one finally got his long-awaited MVP. Um, I, th- I just thought that they were and, – and I, for me, Gary, this is me. I hate iso ball. I, you know, the, a lot right. of the NBA teams in the state, I can't stand it. I just don't even want to watch it. Golden State is sort of the anti-iso ball team. 
Now, they've been forced into a lot of pick and rolls because of the way Boston defends them, but their thing is precision passing, moving the ball. You know, I, I remember having a coach when I was a kid say, nobody can move their feet as fast as you can move the ball around the perimeter. And it's so true, and it remains true. And who's better at that than Golden State? I think it's a fun brand of basketball to watch. So I root for them anyway. And I would say Steph Curry is my, probably my favorite player to watch, although I have to say, I have to say guys like John Morant give him a little bit of a run for his money because that guy's spectacular. But it actually went the way I, I think they're going to be around a while. I mean, we have young guys that we haven't even really seen. Jonathan Kuminga has played very limited. Uh, Moses Moody looks like he's a player. Jonathan, everyone's telling right. Jonathan Wiseman is going to be a, uh, James Wiseman is going to be a stud before it's over. So, I mean, as one group sort of moves on into their veteranship, I think some of these young guys are going to be pretty good. I think I think, I think Golden State is going to be around a while. Well, I guess great minds think alike. I picked Golden State in six. When they were down 2-1, I said it might go seven, but I never uh, sway, uh, swayed from that or uh, thinking anything different. They are the better team, so uh, we think alike. Bobby, we got to run, but again, thank you so much for joining us. Best wishes to you. We'll be behind you. We'll be praying for you. We'll hope for the best, and I know we're going to talk again soon. Thanks, Gary. I'll be in touch. Okay. Aloha. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Bobby Curran, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu with the latest and hoping uh, I know our audience has been asking so many questions with our listeners via text or calls on how Bobby is doing. So that is the latest. Gary Dickman here on this Friday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Larry Beal will join us in about 30 minutes from now to give us the latest from San Fran. I just want to update our Twitter poll at Sports Animal. The question again was, which NBA championship run by a team do you think is the best? Golden State, Chicago, Lakers, Boston. Now, um, right now, it's still Chicago leading 53%, but it's a lot closer for a second, third, and fourth. Golden State, Lakers, 16%, Boston, 15 But a couple of responses are interesting. One is from Koa Anui Nui, not the real one, but he calls himself that. And it says, Chicago is the GOAT. No horns down with Jordan's team. They would sweep a current Golden State team. Truth. And then he writes, please consider asking more difficult questions for your poll. I'm not comparing if they would beat another team, but that's fine. Good answer. And here's another one from Jordan. Six and eight years, it's not even a question. But six and eight years is what the Bulls did. Four and eight years is what Golden State did. I think it's a question, but thanks for all the responses. We'll update that throughout the afternoon. We're going to talk some NFL, some XFL coming up as well, MLB, and more with the animals. Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Gary Dickman here, Keegan Ota in our downtown Paxa studios. Uh, we'll take your calls and texts at 808-296-1420. Larry Beal will be joining us in about 20 minutes from now, so stay tuned for that. I want to talk a little uh, NFL. The No definite news yet on Deshaun Watson and I think this is not a surprise as every week for the last, what, two, three weeks now, there have been more people coming through with lawsuits, more alleged victims. I think the number's up to 26 from 22 uh, a month ago. And then we heard about the New York Times article where they said there were maybe up to 66 alleged victims. At least 66 different people were giving him massages over the course of that one-year or two-year period. The NFL, again, has not 
said anything definite, and they still haven't. But word, and I don't know, again, it's right now, I guess, hearsay or rumor, but people are speculating or at least saying, you know, from different uh, national websites that they expect a year-long suspension for Deshaun Watson. I, I had thought when he was found – well, I'm not sure if he was really found not guilty. There was never any charges that went any further because the jury didn't find enough proof or evidence uh, that even though it's going to the civil suits, and he's probably going to have to pay up a lot there, that maybe the suspension would be six or eight games. Again, we haven't had anything quite like this. We've had serious allegations, serious charges over the years. Uh, ben Roethlisberger with his situation many years ago got, I think, six games reduced to four. But I, I thought maybe after Deshaun Watson didn't, you know, wasn't found guilty in a court of law initially, that maybe he would get a six to eight game. And even with that, you know, I might have been on the on the low end thinking that if he's not found guilty, I know the NFL can punish anyway, and they did with Roethlisberger. He never uh, went to court with those charges. Is that maybe it would be lesser, less a less amount, lesser amount than a higher amount? But now, I, and again, I mentioned this a couple of days ago, I believe, where when real sports and you can probably still get it on HBO On Demand, they had the episode where they had two alleged victims. Uh, when you see a face to the story, I think, not so much that it hits home, but it makes it more realistic, more believable. You know, I think when you just read about certain things, maybe you don't grasp everything that's involved. You don't get the seriousness of it, in some cases at least. At least that's for me. But when there's a video attached, I mean, look at Ray Rice. Ray Rice was accused of things that... Not, I don't say a lot, but enough people have been accused of it as well. When you have the video of him in the elevator, though, that made it to a lot of us, I believe, a more serious offense. So, you know, with Deshaun Watson, there, there's no video, but there's just more and more people. So now I just think that with so many people coming out, I, I believe that it would probably be a year. I think it could be. And I think it's deserved, if that's the right way to phrase it. I, I wonder... And I know Chris and I talked about this the other day. I wonder if he's going to play a down in a Cleveland Browns uniform. You know, different people have come out of suspense. I mean, Michael Vick didn't do anything quite like what Deshaun Watson is accused of, but he did kill a lot of dogs. And I'm a dog lover, and it rubbed me and millions of others the wrong way. took him a while to really, first of all, get out of jail, be reinstated. And even then, when he played for Philadelphia at first, to really get in the good graces again. I, I'm not, there's never a time where everybody had forgiven him. But I think in time people did. He did a lot of things with uh, humane society, uh, speeches, donations, and things like that to try to you know, get a little bit more out of his situation on the positive side. I don't know if Deshaun Watson's going to get that. As of right now, I don't know, except for maybe Jadavian Clowney, who said the other day that he's going to he, – reason he went back to Cleveland is because of Deshaun Watson. Remember, they played together for, I believe, three years in Houston. He was going to go wherever Watson went. I don't know if there's too many people feel that way. Now, not everybody might be against him. Maybe they're thinking football is separate. As, you know, maybe and Apparently, the Cleveland Browns did. And I just still wonder if they did their entire or enough due diligence. Because they never came up with the 66 victims or masseuses that the New York Times did. Did they know? Did they want to know? Or and if they didn't, why didn't they dig further? Maybe they just got just the basics, knew it was bad enough, you know, go through everything, pay them all this money, the $230 million, And now I think they're, they're, they might be in a really tough situation. I don't know how they can get out of it. I'm sure there's a morals clause in there. 
I don't know how the contract was written up. This is so unique. But if he gets a year of suspension, and, again, what I, I, I would think Cleveland would try to get out of the contract somehow. I don't know how. I don't know if they'd be able to. But I would think they're thinking that now. Maybe it wasn't worth it. You know, I mean, he's come in and said the right things. Well, somewhat the right things. I mean, to some it's not enough. To some it's just, you know, a PR move. So I don't know how that's going to go over with all the fans in Cleveland. But he's also going to have to miss a year. If, again, if he misses a year. I would think if you miss a year, you appeal, you try to get it reduced. But my other part of thinking with this situation, what does Cleveland do? Now, I know Chris and I disagree on this. And we had a guest, Dave DiNatale, from a TV station in Cleveland, covers the Browns, and he doesn't think that Baker Mayfield will play for the Browns. They haven't released him yet. And I know June was one of the dates where they might have released him or traded him for cap issues and things like that. I think Baker Mayfield could play for them this year. They got Jacoby Brissett. He was the backup to Tua in Miami last year. Remember, he was in Indy, backing up Andrew Luck before that. And he filled in for Tua. That was basically during that long losing streak. Not blaming him totally for that. I don't think he's the guy who's going to bring them to the playoffs. Now, you might say, I don't think Baker Mayfield is either. Baker Mayfield had a really good year, pretty good year two years ago when they did go to the playoffs, beat Pittsburgh on the road, and then they lost to Kansas City on the road the week after. Last year, he was hurt. Uh, even when he was healthy, he did not play that well. But you had some dysfunction there, to say the least, mainly with Odell Beckham, who ended up getting a trade in the middle of the season. You know, you, you picked up some other weapons. Now, you don't have Jarvis Landry, remember. Uh, I, I think they're a team where Pittsburgh is on their way down, well, still going down. We know that Cincinnati's the real deal. We know that Baltimore, when healthy, should be a playoff team as well. But I think Cleveland could be in that mix. And they might need more than a Baker Mayfield to take them there. But what other options are they going to have? Are you going to you going to start Jacoby Brissett all year if Deshaun Watson is out for a full season? I don't know if that gets them to the playoffs either. At least Baker Mayfield's been there, knows the personnel, uh, can work with them. Remember, they got Amari Cooper too. That's a pretty good pickup there. Uh, I think he could make up for at least Jarvis Landry, if not Odell, but he can't make up for both, I know. They still have talent. you got the running backs. you got the O-line. you got Miles Garrett. Um, you got some good defensive backs there. I don't think they're that far away. And I feel bad for the organization in a way, even though they did this to themselves. I feel bad for the fans. You know, you had a really good thing going there when they made the playoffs and won a game for the first time in forever. And then a year later, it's kind of going the opposite direction. And part of it was Baker Mayfield's struggles and his injury. If they don't have Deshaun Watson, are they going to stick with Jacoby Brissett? Again, from what I've read and what we've heard is right now, yeah, it's not going to be Baker Mayfield. And there's still talk that Baker Mayfield could get traded to uh, Carolina. Although the talk I read yesterday, I think it was from pro football talk, if Baker Mayfield does get traded to uh, Carolina, Sam Darnold would not be coming back. So that's interesting in itself. You would think it would be a, not maybe an even swap, but a quarterback for quarterback swap. Why would Carolina want Baker Mayfield if you're going to keep Sam Darnold? I mean, you're not going to start them both. You can compete with both of them, but you're not going to have one guy as a backup either. So I, I don't understand that. doesn't um, totally make sense to me. Uh, we got a couple of texts on the Zephyr Insurance text line. One says, does Cleveland still pay the guaranteed for Watson if he doesn't play? And that's what I meant a few minutes ago, and I said I don't know the whole contract. I don't try, pretend to. Uh, normally, it would say one way or the other it's guaranteed, and I believe it is guaranteed. 
but I would also think there's got to be a morals clause in there that would cover them. Like, And I would think mainly it would be if he does something again along these lines that he would uh, definitely be well, waived, uh, void the contract, I guess, the first term I'm trying to find there. I, I don't think that would still be valid if he does something else as far as vi- violating any terms of the agreement. Along these lines, if the NFL suspends him, I don't know how it's written. I think it could go either way. But time will tell. And what we're hearing also is that the NFL is expected to make a decision, again, according to sources at least, in the next week or so, which I think is just well, not only right, but it's fair to Cleveland. They, if they've got to make a move, they got to know about it before camp starts. NFL training camps start in five weeks, uh, the third week of July, basically. So it's not that far away. So uh, time will tell. But I do think that they would be better off if they play Baker Mayfield over Jacoby Brissett Maybe I have them compete uh, in training camp. But, again, all things being equal, I would think that Baker Mayfield would be the guy. But that's my opinion there. Uh, we got another text, and this is referring to the NBA uh, question, the poll question, and also the dynasty talk. It says, hey, guys, I really want to hear the answers, so just dissect the text message the way you want. It's a long one. Dynasty, to me, means no team has a chance to beat us. Play team basketball. Play your role three-peat. Get away from the super team crap, LeBron. <laughs> but it's mostly definitely the Bulls, he says, with Jordan. You mentioned three-peats. He says, think of the era. Jordan got beat up by those Pistons and still three-peated twice. Remember, Chicago wrote the blueprint. Teams are trying to copy. I uh, do give credit to Golden State. They have one person that can make them that dynasty. I call him the bridge, and that's Steve Kerr. Well, that's interesting. He said he knows what it takes. He learned from that blueprint. Remember, Steve Kerr won five titles as a player. Three with the Bulls in that second three-peat, and two with the Spurs with the Duncan Parker Ginobili team. He said, right now, this is uh, a tippy-tap league. Remember the Jordan rule. Jordan's still three-peated, and this is from Angelo. Well, thank you for the text, Angelo. Um, again, it's an opinion thing. I don't think there's any wrong answer. I don't know if teams are really trying to copy Chicago's blueprint, except if it's just a winning. I mean, everybody would want to win, so you might try to copy it, but there was only one Michael Jordan. So maybe you mean as far as maybe having a big three. That could be it. Because remember, Jordan didn't win even the first repeat. He had Pippen. Pippen was really young then. Pippen got to be the Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman, of course. But you had all those other complimentary pieces. And I, I like a guy like Ron Harper. Uh, they might not have had other all-stars. Paxson. Uh, even Bill Cartwright was a pretty good player. It was a good fit for them. Horace Grant for them. Second re- uh, three-peat. Then you had Dennis Rodman. Then you had Tony Kukoc. And those complimentary pieces were more than just complimentary pieces. I think it's just an interesting way of looking at it. And, again, the way I was always taught, I guess, is that a dynasty is three consecutive championships. And I think that separates the great from just the good team. Because, again, a lot of teams and a lot of sports have won back-to-back. Not a ton, but it happens frequently enough. And I, I just think three would make that team a dynasty. What Golden State is doing, though, if they win the finals next year, they get two back-to-backs then, 17 and 18, 22 and 23, plus another one in 15, plus two losses. One was with the injured players. One was in game seven to Kyrie Irving uh, on that Father's Day several years ago. So I think they would be in that conversation shortly. Uh, but 
I think they're on the cusp. I just don't know if they're going to do it again, and that's part of the thing for next year. Who, who's going to be winning it? Now, Golden State's already the favorite, but the NBA champion is always the favorite. Unless you have, like, a Michael Jordan, retire, Scottie Pippen gets traded, uh, and all the other guys, Bulls left in 98, that's a little different. But usually the defending champ, Milwaukee, I'm sure, is the favorite, well, is Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn might have been equal with Milwaukee going into this season. To me, though, on the other side, well, I'll stick with the West, actually, first. With the West, we know what Phoenix did. Don't forget what Phoenix did in the playoffs last, oh, the regular season, excuse me. We also can't forget what they did in the playoffs where they lost in seven to Dallas. Game seven at home is a rout. You can't make excuses, but you can maybe explain a little bit of it. And I don't know if we'll ever know how much COVID had to do with that. But we know they were missing an assistant coach, several staff members with COVID in Game 7. That doesn't hurt them on the court. But the day after Game 7, a few other players, unnamed, allegedly had COVID as well. And even if they didn't have COVID, maybe some of the symptoms. And I'm not trying to make excuses. That just seems totally out of nowhere where Dallas comes in. They were fortunate, I feel, to get to a Game 7. And then they destroy Phoenix on their own court. Phoenix will be back. They'll probably be minus DeAndre Ayton. He's going to be a free agent on July 1st, and most reports, if not every report, says they're very very unlikely to resign him. And you still got Chris Paul, going to be a year older, and he's got a little bit of the injury deal too, just like anybody after that much wear and tear in the NBA at that age, late 30s. Booker is, I mean, he got injured, which hurt them a little, but they still got Bridges, uh, Crowder. They still got a really good team. I think the Lakers and Clippers will be back in the mix. Right now, it looks like the Lakers are going to keep Westbrook. At least that's what they're saying. Darvin Ham, the new coach, is talking about different ways of using him. Clippers to get Kawhi and Paul George back. Again, assuming everybody's going to be healthy, you have to. They're going to be a real force in the West. I don't think Memphis is going to go away. I think John Moran's going to get better and better and better. He is that good, and they, they were that good this year. I think Minnesota's going to continue to take it to the next step or the next level every year, and they're going to be a perennial playoff team and maybe a top-four team. I don't know about Utah with their new coach, and they're expected to either lose Rudy Gobert and maybe Donovan Mitchell be a trade. So I have to say, there's going to be a lot of movement again this offseason. In the East, I'm not picking Boston. And I'm not going to make excuses, but part of it, remember this, in the second round, Milwaukee was without Chris Middleton for the final, I think, six games. Might have been my uh, last five. And I know it's easy to say, well, if the Nets had Harden and Kyrie last year, they beat Milwaukee, which I believe as well. I don't think Boston gets past Milwaukee if Chris Middleton plays that full series. And injuries are part of the game. You can't dismiss it because it happens. And every team deals with it on a diff- in a different way, in a different level. I just don't think Boston is better than Brooklyn when healthy. I don't think they're better than Milwaukee when healthy. And I don't think they're necessarily better than Philadelphia when healthy. And maybe Harden, who will probably be back, when he has a full offseason or a full training camp with them. That's just my thoughts on that. I, I think that they're really good and they're going to be in the mix, I, and you've got to have Miami in there. So I, I don't think Boston is going to be a sh- – certainly not going to be a shoe-in, and I don't know if they're going to get in there at all, but that's kind of the fun of sports there. But I'm just trying to think about that part of Golden State, going back to the text that we got in. I, I'll never count them out. I picked them from when Clay was out last year and Curry was out. Wait till next year. And Steph Curry said, there was a video of it today on Twitter, when they got eliminated in the play-in tournament by Memphis last year, they were in it, and they lost to the Lakers in the first game. They were the uh, ninth seed. 
or eight seed. There was seven versus eight, nine versus ten. They lost to the Lakers in the first game. Then they play Memphis in the second game in Golden State, and they lost that. And Steph Curry said, you don't want to play us next year. Because he knew they'd be back, and they'd be back with a with a with a a desire like nobody else to get back to where people had written them off. He he knew they would have the motivation, and if healthy, they would be that good. And he was right about that. We're going to have more Golden State Warriors talk as Larry Beal will join us coming up in just a couple of minutes. La, la, la. A lot of celebrating going on in San Francisco and the Bay Area. Apparently a lot of celebrating by some people in the Boston area last night. We're going to get the latest on what's going on in the Bay Area. We are joined here by one of our favorite guests of all time. He's a sports and news anchor at KGO TV in San Francisco. Larry Beal joins the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Larry, I'm curious if you are feeling at all like Steve Kerr uh, is a quote on your Twitter page as far as uh, how he is feeling today. Uh, I'm not hungover, uh, if that's uh, what you're wondering. But yes. I, I'm pretty tired uh, after covering the finals. And uh, it's the best kind of exhaustion you can have, especially when it ends the way it did with the Warriors winning a championship that few people thought they were capable of winning, especially at various times in the season because of all their injuries. So uh, this one was different. You know, this is, is the fourth that we've covered in the, the Steph Curry era. And I guess the most improbable of all because – when you look at that roster, you don't necessarily think championship right away. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked them last year just because I thought they would come back. If they came back healthy, they would win an all-year. I never swayed from that. And I, I picked them in six to win it. Even when they were down 2-1, I still picked them. Oh, by the way, the, the, the quote by Steve Kerr on Larry Beal's Twitter page, at Larry Beal, ABC7, uh, to retweet. They were at the airport, I guess, in San Francisco today or the Bay Area, and reporters on the tarmac are asking him a question. He said, I'm not going to lie, I'm hungover. And that's Steve yeah. Kerr with a nice smile on his face. F- obviously well-deserved. I read something, though, Larry, that before, before game, yesterday's game started – that a week ago the Golden State Warriors rented out an entire club near Boston to celebrate if they won game six and won the championship. That's a lot of confidence to rent it out when you're tied two games apiece. Uh, It's a confident group. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, they have been through this before, so I think they were feeling uh, not only confident, but also, you know, you just want to – do your due diligence ahead of time. The last thing you want to do is have everybody ready to celebrate and no place to go because this is the third time in the four years that they've won in the Curry era uh, that they've won on the road. We only had one championship that was won, and that was in Oakland, but one in the Bay Area. So you, you have to make contingencies, and they did. And I, I know those guys, uh, I haven't even texted anybody because I know they're probably all just exhausted. Uh, Steve, uh, they, they literally landed like, I don't know, 10 minutes ago or something like that. It was just imminent um, uh, on on the uh, the runway at SFO. But, uh, you know, uh, Steve said it felt so long. It's a six-hour flight from Boston, but he said it, it was like coming back from Europe because uh, <laughs> they're, all, they're all just so tired, and, and most of them did not get a lot of sleep last night. I'll bet. But before I get to Steph Curry and some of the obvious questions, with Steve Kerr, do you think he gets enough credit for what he has accomplished? I mean, some people might say, well, Phil Jackson won because he had Michael Jordan. I don't know if they say that about Steve Kerr. To me, is a little bit different. I love everything he's done from day one. Classy coach, a winning coach, gone through some troubles with his back and everything. And I'm not sure if he gets the credit he deserves. I don't think he does. 
I don't think he does. But he would be the first to point out, as he has many times, that you don't win championships unless you have great players around you. And that was the case with Phil Jackson, and that's the case with Pat Riley, and you know, you, you want to go to Red Auerbach or whatever. And Steve recognizes that. I think it was Jeff Van Gundy who said, you, know, you could be a great coach, but with lousy players, you're not going to win anything. Uh, you could be you know, a not-so-great coach and have superstar players, and you could win a lot. So it's really the players that, that make it happen. But you have to set up the infrastructure. The, you know, look at Andrew Wiggins, for example. Right? Andrew Wiggins, they couldn't get him out of Minnesota fast enough. They thought that that was the worst contract in the league, $32 million a year. They thought he was, you know, he was going to be a superstar player. He's the perfect fit as the number four scorer on your team, as the, as the guy that, you know, behind Steph and Clay and Draymond facilitating, and then there's Andrew Wiggins. He's not built to be the alpha, and so they found the right role for him, and part of that is, is Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, the general manager. But back to Steve, there's one uh, uh, statistic I, I saw that, I mean, is mind-boggling because he won five titles as a player. This is his fourth as a coach, so he has nine championship rings. <laughs> Pretty soon they're going to have to start, uh, you know, checking the size of his toes. Uh, <laughs> if he keeps winning more rings because he's going to run out of fingers. But I believe his nine championships, Steve Kerr, he has more than all other franchises in the NBA outside of the Lakers and the Celtics. I mean, how nuts is that for one guy? Wow, that puts it in perspective. That sure does. Larry Beal from KGO-TV in San Francisco joining us on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I didn't expect the emotional outburst from Steph Curry as the clock winded down yesterday. It was great to see. Were you at all surprised by that? I was surprised. I mean, I think this journey has just been different for Steph and the entire team because when they had Kevin Durant on the team, it almost was unfair to the rest of the league. I mean, you knew they were going to be in the finals. just a question of whether they're going to win it or not. And they had the misfortune in 19 with, with both clay and KD going down. But the last two years, I mean, they were the worst team in the league a couple of years ago. They had 15 wins. They were awful. I mean, unwatchable. So to go through a season like that, and then last year, a bit more respectable, uh, but, Still didn't make the playoffs. They got knocked out by Memphis and the Lakers in the play-in games. So, you know, this is a franchise accustomed to winning and to bottom out the way they did and then to see Clay go through basically two and a half years of rehab just to try to get back on the court. He missed half the season. They never got James Wiseman on the court at all. They had a lot of misfortune. Draymond Green missed two months. Steph missed the final, like, six weeks of the season when uh, Marcus Smart crashed into him and, and injured his foot so they've been through so much i think in some ways they may appreciate this championship even more uh, than the first one the first one was just like they were so young and so new and so fresh it was just like you know they they just soaked the whole thing in uh, then with durant you kind of expected victory but this nobody could have really predicted with any certainty given how good the suns were during the year and i would make the case that if the Bucks had Chris Middleton, it probably would have been the Bucks in the finals. So mm. they, they've been through a lot in the past couple of years. And then to get back atop the mountain, I think that's part of the reason why you saw the tears. You have a video outside Chase Center yesterday where the fans were watching the game on a gigantic screen. What was the atmosphere like there? Nuts. Nuts. It was crazy. I mean, the best kind of crazy, the best kind of nuts with people just 
celebrating. And, uh, you know, when the Warriors built Chase Center, because, you know, for years they played it at Oracle on the other side of the bay in Oakland, the goal was to create an atmosphere that would draw fans like the Deer District in Milwaukee or Jurassic Park in Toronto where everybody can gather um, and they they did it you know I mean, they, they not only did they build the building uh, they won the championship with thousands of people outside and a watch party inside so I mean people are are, are thrilled for this team and uh, I would just say the aroma coming from the <laughs> celebration uh, below us we were on the second floor was quite distinct and as uh, my broadcast partner Donald Foyle longtime warrior put it that is the smell of victory. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a, a pretty good quote. You know, I know they're going to be celebrating the championship, and rightfully so. They've had an unbelievable run. But one thing we just talk, talked about briefly on our show the other day, I want to get your take. Steph Curry, I believe, is going to be 34 this year. He's been in the league 13 years. How long do you think this group can stay intact and continue to win? I would say in Steph's case, you probably – Peak Steph, another two to three years for sure. His conditioning is insane. He might be the best conditioned athlete in the league. Uh, Clay, I expect him to get better and healthier because we probably saw 75% Clay. You could see defensive lapses. He doesn't have the lateral quickness that he used to have because he could just lock guys up. And not so much the case anymore after the ACL and the Achilles. Draymond is the one I would be the most concerned about because his body is taking a pounding. I mean, he's guarding, you know, seven foot centers and he's, he's only six, six. And so he's taken a lot of abuse with his body. So he would be the one that I would be most concerned about for the core group. I would think that Andre Iguodala would retire because he could hardly play it all this year with all the health issues. But the cool thing for Steph and Clay and Dre is that they, they were trying to thread the needle this year in terms of maximizing the Curry, uh, that group, maximizing their championship potential while still developing young kids, rookies. And they were able to do it. And very few people thought they could. So waiting in the wings, I mean, you have Jordan Poole. Pool party? I mean, are you <laughs> kidding? This guy was in the G League last year. So to do what he's been able to do, you know, Jonathan Kaminga is just an insane insane athlete he doesn't even know how good he could be he's 19 years old Moses Moody 20 years old that guy can shoot the ball I mean he's not a splash brother officially yet but wait until you see what he can do and James Wiseman they have a a 7-1 shot blocker who's one of the best athletes at his height that you'll ever see he hasn't played at all I mean if they have all these guys back and healthy we could be talking about a lot of parades and a lot of celebrations and and many more rings in the years to come. So I I think the next three years uh, we are on championship alert, unless, unless Steph gets hurt or somebody else gets hurt in the mix that they're really counting on. But, but health is the only thing that can slow them down. Well, the the only other thing would be uh, the checkbook because they're, Mm. I mean, it's astronomical this year with, their salaries and luxury tax about three hundred and fifty million dollars. That's you know more than any other team. Next year they have the repeater tax. So every year that you go over the the threshold, the repeater tax hits you higher and higher and higher and higher. So I don't know if it's what if it's four x now, but you know if you sign a guy for ten million, it really counts 
That's forty million in the amount of money you have to pay out. So it's a question of how much ownership. Like, how much do you want another Larry O'Brien trophy? Are you willing to spend four hundred million dollars? <laughs> Are you four fifty? Are you willing to go? Do I hear five? Do I hear anybody in the room got five? I mean, so it's it's insanity. But the other part of this is, you know, I remember talking to Joe Lake of the the, the main owner. 12 years ago when he bought the team for $450 million. That, that could be what he pays next year just in salary. And at the time, it was the highest price, highest sale for any team in the NBA. And everybody thought he was crazy, going to just lose a boatload of money. And now that franchise is probably worth somewhere between 5 and $6 billion. Unbelievable. I'm hoping Laker fans were listening to you describe the Golden State chances for the next few years. I am in agreement with you. Hey, Larry, we got to run. We always enjoy having you on the show. I know we're going to do it again soon. Enjoy the championship parties this week, and I'm sure everybody in San Francisco and Oakland will. Yes. Before we go, I just want to say aloha and best wishes to Bobby Curran. I hope uh, he emerges healthy, and uh, we, we have him for many, many, many more years. Ditto. Definitely agree with that. Thanks, Larry. All right. Aloha, brother. All right. Aloha. Thank you so much. Larry Beal from KGO-TV in San Francisco joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. I'll have a little reaction to what he said when we return with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Gary Dickman here this Friday afternoon with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Chris is out today. We'll be back with us Monday. We'll also, I know we will have uh, June Jones will be joining us Monday afternoon to talk about the XFL XFL showcase, which is coming up next week. Also, Mark Ross will join us next hour. He's the executive vice president of football operations from the XFL, and he will join us telling us about next week's showcase as well. Taking one thing that Larry Beal said a few minutes ago when he talked about with luxury tax and salaries and everything for the Golden State Warriors, this doesn't include all the expenses, but it's gonna, I read 340, $340 million, He said 350 assuming it's either or. One thing to remember, the salary cap is right around, I think it's around 110, 115 million. They're basically triple it, triple. When the salary cap first got introduced and put into play, I think it was probably in the 80s or 90s, went right in there. And it was a hard cap. There were no loopholes. There were no Larry Bird rights loophole. There was no re-signing your free agents for anything and go over the cap loophole. It was a number that you couldn't go over. And I don't remember if it was 70, 80 million. It was probably somewhere in there. Uh, again, this is, you know, 25, 30 years ago at least. So times were different. Salaries were different. And it slowly increased. It might have slowed down a little bit with COVID as far as increasing every year. But I don't even think NFL, te- NFL teams don't have a cap of 340. Now, again, the luxury tax is there. So now they allow you, in a way, you can go over the cap and you get penalized. And that's what Larry was talking about with the owner, Joe Lacob, if you're going to pay that luxury tax threshold. And let's say you have a guy like Steph Curry, who's, I think, going to make over $50 million in the next year or two, which is still crazy, but we almost take it for granted. When he signs that contract and it puts him over the cap, that dollar amount for the team, let's say it's $20 million, well, you pay a one-for-one one, uh, ratio, you'll pay $20 million in luxury tax. If that same number exists for the following year, I believe it's 1.5%. So instead of paying just $20 million for the tax threshold, luxury tax threshold, you'll pay $30 million. And it goes up every year. That's why they're at 340 So, I mean, it still sounds crazy that they're basically $200 million plus over the salary cap. 
Other teams are high up there, too. Nobody's as high as Golden State, as far as I know. And I know Brooklyn has high numbers. The Lakers have high numbers. But when you're winning, uh, I guess you can deal with it and accept it. But, again, for how long? Are you going to keep paying those kinds of money? Hopefully they won't keep on increasing ticket prices and things like that to have the fans pay for it. But I have a feeling that will come into play. We've got some more NBA talk. And then a dilemma. I saw this a couple of days ago, and I'll mention this in a few minutes. If you had a chance to get some money for a specific act, would you do it? That's coming up ahead. Next hour, we will have, as I mentioned, from the XFL, Mark Ross, the executive vice president for football operations. Also, Kaleo Baxter for the University of Hawaii Rainbow Wahine volleyball team. They've got season tickets on sale. Some of the early dates for the schedule have been released, so we'll talk to him coming up next hour as well. So I saw this the other day, and I'm going to get, if you guys want to text or call on this, feel free, and I'm going to get Keegan's take on this. I'll just read it word for word. This is from North Carolina. A pest control company is offering homeowners $2,000 to let the company release dozens of cockroaches into their home as part of a study to test the latest treatments in pest control. The company said that all cockroach treatments will be family and pet safe, but homeowners will be barred from using additional cockroach treatments during the duration of the study. The trial period would last 30 days. If the roaches persist, the company claimed it will use traditional treatment options at no cost to the homeowner. If you're interested, there was a link, and I think they were looking for 10 different families. Now, I guess we can identify with that here in Hawaii. Uh, now, for myself, I would do it. I know if Chris was here, he would say, well, you wouldn't have far to go. You probably have that many. No, this house where I am now in Waikele, very rarely will you ever see a roach, although I did see one a couple of days ago. And, Moki went right after him, didn't catch him, though. My uh, housemate, my roommate, who is the uh, landlord of this place we share, she said, no way. She was, there's no way I would ever do that. I don't know. $2,000 isn't bad. I mean, I, I, I don't know what you have to do to the rest of your house. You have to do something with all the food and cover it up or take everything out of cabinets. doesn't have that as far as what this uh, statement is. But for $2,000 for 30 days, I would do it. Keegan, what about you? Heck no. Heck no. That's exactly what she said. Heck no. You know my roommate, Sandy. She said that as well. Wow, but I don't know. I mean, maybe you plan it like you go out of town for a couple of weeks. No, even if you're – no, 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 no. Even if you want, like, $2,000, there are other ways to do so. How about just if if you have the capacity to do so, right? And I know some don't, but, I mean, if you work for the $2,000, it's better than letting a letting 100 cockroaches in your home – for a for like what four weeks a whole month thirty days yeah, I mean hopefully it's just... they die if they die well, I mean... yeah but I mean it's still a hundred cockroaches no way no shot Keegan how long would it take you to make two thousand dollars of at work um I'm not too sure I okay. have to do math but, but it would take people a lot longer that it's a lot more effort to do it work wise than to have somebody else do the work and you just get the dividend yeah but I don't want cockroaches in my home I don't want a hundred cockroaches in my home. Right okay. now, I right now I will say I'm living with my parents. They wouldn't want 100 cockroaches in their home. No way. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't want it either. No way. No well, shot. I wouldn't want it, but for $2,000. Not yeah. even for $2,000. You'd have to pay me $2 million to do it, not $2,000. $2 that would. I don't think you're going to get $2 million, Well, that's but... my point. <laughs> if I'm not going to get $2 million, I don't want it. This is like the strongest opinion I've ever heard from you. <laughs> you're very adamant with that. And I'm sure I wonder how people feel because I thought it would be maybe half-half. 
And I don't know if you listen. If you're listening, that give us a call or a text at 808-296-1420. Would you do that? I mean, this was a real deal, and I, I think it was ten families or ten houses they wanted to sign up. Again, it was in uh, I think it was, it was South Carolina or North Carolina, but this was only from a few days ago. And again, they're going to get rid of the roaches one way or the other, and you, maybe within 22 days they're all killed anyway. I mean, when I when I lived in Hilo, I lived one of the houses I had in Hilo definitely had a lot. Um, I don't it didn't have a hundred, but it, at times it felt like that. Hey, Leroy, text in about this in Hawaii. Why would you need to have roaches put into your home? They're there anyway, and that's kind of what I think some people would think. There are some areas where you can't avoid them, and I, and I, I've lived in places where you're going to have them every now and then. I, again, the only one I lived in Hilo that I have more than one or two every now and then. That's when I first moved there. And then you would have, like, the flying ones. And when I first moved to Kilo, I used to get scared of them. And then I had an earthquake, which means I wouldn't even sleep in that room. Roaches and an earthquake? No, no. I just moved through. That wouldn't happen. Hey, uh, Pedro, I got you on the phone if you want to talk. I got, like, 30 seconds. If you want to comment, go ahead. Yeah. Hey, real real quick, best thing for cockroaches, dishwashing soap and water, put in a spray bottle, shoot a cockroach with it, and you watch how fast they die. That's the cheapest way, dude. Okay, would you do that for $2,000, have that company put them in your house? Well, I'd come to your house for 2000 bucks with the soap water and sit there <laughs> and shoot cockroaches. What the heck? No, but it works, dude. you got to check it out. Cause okay. It, what, it, I, what does it suffocates their, their breathing things in their legs? they got, like, like right by their legs, they have breathing holes. Okay. And once it gets in there, you watch. You try it, bro. The cheapest. Okay, well, remember that. Pedro, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We'll get some more comments on this later. Hour number three with the Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday afternoon on ESPN. Honolulu, Gary Dickman and Keegan Ota here. We welcome your calls and texts at 808-296-1420. Some more NBA coming up a little bit later and some of the uh, other topics involving the future of the NBA or the future teams and players. I'll do that in a couple of minutes. But I wanted to bring this up about the NFL. And I don't understand why the punishment is not more severe. Now, people know I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan. Sorry, Kiyoki. But I'm not. But it has nothing to do, even if it was my team, the Jets, or any team, I would feel this way. because. And you might have heard the news, Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy not the and the Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy has been fined $100,000. The Cowboys have been docked a 2023 OTA day, I believe, or a practice for violating practice rules. And this happens from time to time. I'll just give you a couple of details. The thing that bothers me, I guess, and it should bother the NFL, is that this is the second straight year that Mike McCarthy, as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, has been fined for violating rules regarding off-season practices. And this is according to Jerry Jones, the owner and GM. Um, they were docked an organized team activity for next year for holding practices that were deemed too physical by the NFL. Now, the organization was not fine, unlike in 2021, but Mike McCarthy was. And I think that's fine. He, he deserves it because he let this happen. A year ago, when it happened for the first time, Mike McCarthy was fined $50,000, the Cowboys 100000 and they lost an OTA day for this offseason. So they were one of three teams that violated this in 2021 and lost a day of OTAs because of the violation. Uh, San Francisco, the 49ers were one where Kyle Shanahan got the $50,000 fine. 
Jacksonville, they were fined 200000 and Urban Meyer 100000 Could have been ignorance on Urban Meyer's part. I don't know. But if you're going to do it two years in a row, it's not a mistake. And I always hate when somebody, somebody or an organization, anytime anything happens that's bad, wrong, illegal, and the phrase you hear way too often, oh, it was a, it was a mistake. It was a lapse in judgment. This was not a lapse in judgment. It wasn't a mistake. I don't think it's anything but a willful desire to neglect and forget about what policies and bylaws are put into play. You were trying to get away with something. And I would think that a lot of – well, I shouldn't say a lot. I would think that teams that do this are doing it – well, they do it because they, they want – they need the practice and things like that. But they're doing it because they think they can get away with it because these are OTAs. I don't think the media is there at the entire practice. Uh, not like the NFL is spying on them. So how do they know? Well, some of their practice sessions were put online, and that's how the NFL found out about it. And you, you can't get away with that year after year and not something severe happen. Now, the dollar amount, you might think, is significant. I don't know what Mike McCarthy makes. I would imagine it's in the $5 million range, something like that. Not Bill Belichick money, but it's probably around there. It's probably the going rate for a coach that hasn't won a playoff game in a while. And I, Mike McCarthy's a good coach. I'm not doubting that. But when you do it two years in a row, you're, you're showing up the NFL. You have no regard for what they're saying are the rules and policies. And I think this should be a stiffer fine. Now, it looks like it's higher than last year, but still, it's got to be more than that. I would say take away a draft pick. Take away a second or third round draft pick. And you might think that's too severe, but they're doing something that is easily controlled, and they're doing it because they think they can get away with it. That's the biggest reason they're doing it, because nobody's spying on them, they think. Somehow there's a video that got put online, I guess, about their practice session. And it's interesting because Mike McCarthy this past week, it was noted, he cut a day from the minicamp from 3 to 2 this week. Uh, but that didn't have to do with the penalty, they say. They went to top golf on Wednesday, and the veterans were excused from work on Thursday. Now, one report I'm reading from ESPN said that didn't have anything to do with cutting it down. I wonder if it did. I think I wonder if that was a convenient way of him to not say or acknowledging to people who either didn't know or forgot that they were punished and lost a day is just to cut it short on their end and have a different event. I, I don't know that, but the point is you can't do this and get a fine like that. It should be more severe. And some people might think, what's the big deal? It's just an extra practice session. It's just the principle of it. You, you're disobeying rules. I mean, some pe- I, mean I, I could also say that Spygate wasn't that big of a deal. Now, to some people, that was a really big deal. But, I mean, people watch film, and I don't want to get the whole, all into that. But I think anytime any team violates something, it's it's got to be considered a violation, and you've got to get some kind of punishment. A slap on the wrist is just a slap on the wrist. I don't know if it's going to deter a team or a coach from doing it again. In Mike McCarthy's case, it didn't. I would love to have him explain that. I really hope he can. Well, I don't think he can, but I'd love to have him take that opportunity. I would have, I would think he would try to sidestep it or just give a an answer, a politically correct answer, so to speak, and not answer it, uh, not admit guilt, make up some excuse or whatever. But, I mean, that's just a, it's a willful neglect of a rule. And, again, I know it's not one of the more serious things you can do. I mean, 
The Washington Commanders have done worse. In fact, they're on this list as well. Ron Rivera got fined $100,000 as well, and they're going to lose two team activities, two OTAs for next year. Their violation is a little bit different. Too much contact, well, too much contact in practice this year. Now, this is from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. They're restricted in how much contact players can have during off-season workout. And that's with the NFL and the Players Association monitoring to make sure it's not too physical. Uh, the Commanders, as I said, are the latest team. Now, those aren't the only team. The other one is the Chicago Bears. Uh, their head, new head coach, Matt Eberfluss, I believe is how you say it, they were stripped of a practice as well. With a new head coach, and especially a rookie head coach, I still think they should know the rule because it's not his first time at the NFL OTA. He had to be aware of it, you know, as an assistant. Uh, but I might give him a little more of a pass, cut him a little slack. But Mike McCarthy doing it two years in a row, and I'm not trying to pick on the Cowboys. I- I'm not. But I just think when you do that, you got to get a, more than just a slap on the wrist. And the, the dollar amount that they're getting fined is, I mean, I don't know how much it hurts Mike McCarthy. Let's say he makes $5 million a year. I mean, that's still, well, I mean, it's, it's significant money. It is, but I don't know if it's going to stop him from doing it. I mean, he got fined last year 50. It didn't stop him. Maybe they just keep doubling it, and maybe next year it'll be 200. But how does Jerry Jones allow that? I, that's one thing I wonder as well. Does he know about it? And if he does know about it, why would he be okay with it? He should be guilty. And I mean, his punishment, I guess, is that the team will lose an OTA day next year. And if he doesn't know about it, shouldn't he be upset with his head coach? Or is it one of those things that, you know, if, you know, it's, I mean, there's two phrases or two cliches, basically. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And if, I forget how the other one goes, basically, but it's like if you don't get caught, you know, it's not cheating if you don't get caught, things like that. I mean, you would like to think that teams follow all these policies and procedures. I mean, it reminded me, I remember when Gib Arnold was the coach here, one of the violations was that they had a director of ops coaching uh, during practices. I, I've hosted, I don't know how many teams since 1996 for the Rainbow and Diamond Head Classic, probably about 20 teams. Uh, I've had a couple of coaches twice. And it's not where every coach did this, but more than half did. And it's not really coaching. To me, I mean, I guess technically it is a violation. What I mean by that is you're only allowed to have a certain amount of on-court coaches, and I believe it's three. You can have a director of ops. You can have an S- – well, the SID wouldn't do it, but the director of ops, like for Hawaii this past year, well, Gibson, Gibson Johnson, who just left the University of Hawaii, I saw. Thank you, Gibson, for everything you've done. He was more like a graduate uh, assistant. Uh, but Dominic Drury is the director of ops. I, I know he's not going to do any coaching, and I've seen him at practice. But I've also seen teams where, again, I've hosted, and they've got a director of ops who they're not coaching a lot. It's not like they're breaking down film or breaking down plays, but they might be giving a tip here and there. I don't know why that's so wrong, but I, I can understand with the NCAA, you got to draw the line somewhere, and you draw the line at zero. Although Nick Saban's found his way around it. You know, you're only allowed a certain amount of college assistant coaches as well, and Nick Saban, what he's done, he's hired, he's hired consultants. I mean, he's hired consultants under different categories, and they're former head coaches and assistants, big names. But that's how he gets around it. He's got so many people on his staff, they'll pay him. They got the money, and they're technically not an assistant coach. I, I, I know he's been critical of Jimbo Fisher and what he supposedly did, which I don't buy totally. But Nick Saban is kind of a 
circumvented the rule book as well with what he's done with assistant coaches. But the Dallas Cowboys, going back to them, to them, I just think Mike McCarthy's got to get a stiffer punishment. Again, some people might think it's not severe, and maybe a hundred thousand's enough. And I wonder what they do every additional time if they keep doubling it. But I, I wonder where Jerry Jones is on this. I wonder if the Dallas media will even, you know, try to find out from him why why he did it if he has an answer for it. I don't think you can give any kind of legitimate answer. I really don't. But just one thing I did notice about that. Uh, but this is my thoughts on that. Hey, we're going to have, as I mentioned, some XFL talk with Mark Ross, the executive vice president of operations, coming up in a few minutes. Earlier in the show when I was talking about the NBA season concluding, I was going over a couple of topics. And feel free if you want to call or text at 808 296 1420 and uh, give us your opinion on that. Before I go to the two other topics, I want to go to our poll question and give an update. It was, which NBA championship run by a team do you think is the best? Chicago still leading with 52%, those Bulls teams with Jordan. Golden State and the Lakers are tied with 14%. This is surprising. Boston has now come in second place at 20%. At the beginning, and I mentioned maybe because it was so long ago, besides the Pierce Garnett, Ray Allen title, the other ones were all in the 80s. Well, the latest ones before that were in the 80s. So I wasn't sure if fans would know, but they're at 20% right now. Interesting. Go to Sports Animals on Twitter and cast your vote. You'll have until 6 o'clock. Okay, one topic I want to get into now is the smartest players in the NBA. And I mentioned it because Draymond Green the other day, I think it was on his podcast, said that LeBron James is by far smartest guy in the NBA. And I know he's in business with LeBron, so maybe that's part of the reason he said it. Still, I thought that was interesting. Uh, what he said, though, I mean, from a fan's perspective, I don't know. We, we don't know everything. Even the media, nobody knows everything as far as judging a smart basketball player. You can get a lot, but you're not in the locker room. You're not really during in there during the timeout to know why they're doing what they're doing. Still, I would admit and acknowledge LeBron James is way up there. To me, though, and I, I could probably think of more on this, is here are three names I came up with, and I'll give you reasons, and I'm sure there are more. None of them are playing today. They're all well-retired. One of them, Dennis Rodman. And with Dennis Rodman, the reason I picked him, he wasn't the greatest athlete. He had size. He had strength. He wasn't skilled offensively. What he did, I mean, there was a good chance he wasn't going to stay in the NBA. I remember him playing in what was then the Aloha Classic. Remember we used to have the college all-star game? Uh, he and Scottie Pippen were the only two NAIA players to come here that year. It might have been the last year. It was in like 86 or 7. And that's the first time I ever heard his name. Didn't really do much in the NBA. He was on Detroit. Of course, they won titles. He was part of the bad boys. Then he goes to the Bulls. And I don't know if his rebounding numbers in Detroit were really good. I know they were decent at least. But with the Bulls, he was one of the best rebounders in the league. And it was his brain. He studied tons and tons of film to know when certain guys would shoot, when they'd miss, where the ball would come off of. Something Steve Kerr just said about Steph Curry the other day as well. And I'm sure he's not the only player to do it, but he made himself the leading rebounder in the league. He got into the Hall of Fame because of defense and rebounding. And he knew how to defend. Part of that, you might say, is talent. Part of that, though, I think, is just his brain, his, his desire to learn and to know the angle, separation, where to position himself. So Dennis Rodman is one. Kobe Bryant is number two. Now, I was thinking of a Michael Jordan, but to me it's not the greatest player. It's just the smartest player. Kobe Bryant said years ago, 
I'm not sure if it's in his book or not, but I remember seeing some interviews after he retired that what he started doing in his career, he would start studying film of where referees would position themselves on the court. And by virtue of where referees would position, depending on where the ball was, depending on where the inbounding play was and everything, he knew where to position himself where he could get away with fouling players and not being seen. So he knew if a referee was on his right, behind him, or in front of him, he knew where he could grab a jersey or hold somebody. Now, some people might say, well, that's illegal. Players do it all the time and try to get away with it. It happened 10, 15 times yesterday. I think it shows how smart of a player he is. Now, he also had the work ethic. He didn't come in as the greatest player in basketball. He worked really hard. Maybe that's a little bit different than having the brain to mean the smartest player, but I think that's part of it. But just really on that alone, that he positioned himself to be a really good defensive player and get away with things like that, with that reasoning, I've never heard that from anybody before or since. The other player on my list, Larry Bird. Larry Bird was not, as we know, the most athletic player, not by a long shot. But, and it wasn't just that he was just a great shooter, which he was. It wasn't just that he worked really hard, which he did. He was so smart, again, similar to Rodman for offense as opposed to defense, and positioning himself. I mean, you look at some of the anticipation, the big steal in the NBA Finals where he stole the ball and fed Dennis Johnson for a layup to win the game against the Lakers in the mid-80s, 85 or 86. What a steal that was. That came out of nowhere. Some of the offensive rebounds he's had off of missed shots are some of the greatest plays in NBA history to me. He had that one off a missed shot that rimmed off to the right, picked it up in his left hand while going straight almost out of bounds and scooped it up into the basket. Some of you will remember that play. It's one of his most famous plays. Again, not a great leaper. White men can't jump applied to him. I mean, he would come out of timeouts and tell Xavier McDaniel and others, I'm going to position myself here. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to do a pump fake, turn around, and put the ball in the basket right in front of you. And he did it every time. Now, some people might think that might not be smart, but to me it just adds to his legacy. To me, those are maybe the three smartest players I've seen. Anybody in the NBA has to be smart. You have to be talented and smart, maybe a little lucky, maybe just really based on height. But it's never based just on height or talent. It's a combination of things. And I really think that what those three players have done really stands out. If you've got a thought on that, I'd like to hear it at 808-296-1420. We're going to switch gears though in a minute and talk some XFL. The showcase is coming up next week on the 25th, so we'll have a lot to talk about that with Mark Ross, Executive Vice President of the XFL. XFL is coming to Hawaii. They're going to have an open tryout Saturday, June 25th at McKinley High School. we got a lot to cover as far as the tryout and the people want to attend. And right now we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu by the Executive Vice President of Football Operations for the XFL. Mark Ross is with us. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure thing. My pleasure. And a lot of fans are pretty excited about this. I know players are excited about this, hoping to get a tryout and maybe get involved with the XFL. Uh, first, I'd like to ask you, your background is in the NFL. You spent a long time there, and now you are working for the XFL. What inspired you to join the XFL? Well, first and foremost, it was you had a long, long distinguished career at the NFL and two Super Bowls with the Giants. But it really was a passion from the ownership group and uh, the president, Russ Brandon, and you know, uh, DJ and uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson and, and Danny Garcia and, and really Russ Brandon 
who I had known working uh, with, with him at, with the Buffalo Bills. So really just their passion and energy and their vision for the league and how it would succeed and uh, really just my ideas of how the, you know, the need for a spring league and seeing the need for a developmental league for players uh, and, and working so closely with the NFL and, and if you've seen some of the, the partnerships that we've had, I always just thought it was a great idea to have sort of another league to work with the NFL on certain things. And, but, but first and foremost, it's just the need for more football. The NFL is the only sports league that does not have some sort of developmental league or minor league, if you might say. So I think the XFL is to be the perfect opportunity to kind of step into that void. And, but it all starts with the ownership and the passion and, and the energy and the vision that they have. You mentioned Dwayne Johnson, and he's taking over with the XFL. I'm sure he gives it more credibility, but has that made a difference in people really wanting to get involved with the XFL now that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, is involved? Yeah, you know, just his name. If he wasn't involved, and uh, it, it's, it's it's harder. You know, when everything he touches has really turned to, I don't even say gold, it's platinum, it's multi-platinum, however you want to you, you phrase it, and it just gives you, as you mentioned, instant credibility. When you're trying to get things done and, and people know that he's involved with it or deals done or facilities, whatever it may be, and you're coming in as the XFL, sure, you can get things done, but just his personality, his charisma, the respect that everyone has for him, the power, the sway that he has, he just makes everything so attainable, and it makes everyone want to be involved with him and be around him, and I've really, never really been, look, I've been involved with the NFL since I was 22, 23 years old, and been around a lot of great players and famous players and coaches, but nothing to the magnitude of how he impacts people and the way people want to be around him and work with him, uh, and, and just, just see him and feel him and touch him, So, and that, and that permeates throughout everything we do. We're talking with Mark Ross. He is the executive vice president of football operations for the XFL. Joining us here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. And I mentioned Saturday the 25th. There's going to be a showcase here in Honolulu to find some young talent. Nobody has ever come to Hawaii to recruit football players. So why is the XFL making it a priority right now? Well, look, we're trying to, you know, we're the league of opportunity. And we're looking at opportunities everywhere and and that's in the mainland usa and in hawaii or eventually hopefully to international uh you know in, in, in europe and mexico so we're a league of opportunity with all those opportunities we're trying to leave no stone unturned uh there's been wonderful talent that's come from the islands that was in the nfl and uh so obviously it was an opportunity for us to to go out there and check out okay what do they have and of course the DJ factor, again, the Dwayne Johnson factor, again, with his background and going to high school there, and it was very important to him for us to have a presence there. Uh, so, obviously, with his, with his background and his energy and his desire to want to get it done and our desire to, as I said, just check out every avenue to, as the League of Opportunity, it was just the, the perfect synergy of all that working together. For the players that are signing up for this showcase, what exactly are you looking for? What specifically in a player do you want to know that they have as far as the talent to make it to the XFL and hopefully beyond? Yeah, well, you know, the, the talent will take care of itself. But we're, we're really looking for – we had a showcase today at, at the University of Maryland here. And uh, really, the, we want competitors. And, you know, there's, being around football, there's things that you can control as a player. And, you know, that's your energy. That's your passion. That's how hard you work. Uh, and your and and your preparation, uh, and those are things you can control, and that's what we're going to look for in all these showcases, and specifically out there 
You know, you can never control how big, fast, strong you are, those sort of things. But, you know, we're looking for that when we go out to these showcases. Hey, what, who's a competitor? Who's going to give it all, give it their all? Uh, every drill that they compete in, hey, I want to be the best. And then the talent will take care of itself. One thing I think a lot of our listeners are maybe wondering and hopeful for, I know you're here for a showcase next week to find players. Has it ever been discussed about maybe having a franchise in the XFL here in Honolulu in the state of Hawaii? <laughs> well, we're, we're just trying to get through year one first sure. with, the, with the eight we have. And I, I would hope eventually we could get to that point where we, we, we would have that. Obviously, the NFL's never had a franchise there. So uh, yeah, hopefully if this thing just keeps going and, and the year two, three, four, five, whatever it is, that hopefully we'll make it out there as well. Now, if people listening have anybody, either themselves or other people who want to sign up, the website to sign up is showcases.xfl.com. They can get all the information there. If, play, if people are listening right now and really want to get involved, is there a deadline or is there anything else they need to know before they sign up? Yeah, I think by the weekend, and really by, by the weekend, we're trying to get it all, all buttoned up. And, you know, you don't even have to just go to the XFL.com website to make it easier. Then you can find the, the showcases off of that. But I would encourage everybody to try to go through that, jump on there as soon as possible, uh, and, and, and get involved. Um, obviously, you know, with DJ being, you know, Dwayne Johnson being there, and the whole executive team, the, the XFL will be there. So this is a wonderful opportunity for Hey, if you think you can do it, come out here and give it a shot, and we'll see what you can do. You can check out Mark Ross on Twitter, at Mark, M-A-R-C, Ross, as he joins us here on ESPN Honolulu, talking about the XFL Showcase Saturday, June 25th at McKinley High School. Now, it's not open to the public, so fans won't be able to get a look at some of these players or personalities coming here. But for the players who want to get uh, noticed, it is a big deal. How many people are coming down from the XFL to uh, attend and maybe scout and look at the players checking, uh, trying out for the XFL? Yeah, well, we have our whole executive team and, and all the player personnel directors from all the teams that will be there. I'll be there. Uh, the DJ will be there. Uh, you know, our, so you know, Russ Brandon, our president, will be there. Danny Garcia. So we'll have you know, all the all the major players, all the decision makers will be there at, at in Hawaii. And obviously, a long trip for us, but it's worth it to us. And we're putting a lot of time and energy and thought into this showcase, particularly because of DJ and his fondness for it. So. Yeah, when you get there, the major decision makers will be there. One last question before we let you go, Mark. We appreciate your time. You mentioned earlier how they have a connection with the NFL, with this version of the XFL. Can you maybe expand a little bit on the unity with both the NFL and the XFL and what that means to both leagues? Yeah, so with the NFL, as I mentioned before, they're, they're the only sports league without a really developmental league. But also we're developing – we have a, a collaboration with the NFL – on developing not just player development, international player development, but also health and safety developments and uh, technology developments and innovative developments as far as just the total game of football rules developments where hey, the NFL has great ideas, but they can't really implement them and practice them in real time. And, you know, our, our synergy with them is uh, we could be sort of that testing grounds for them to do a bunch of things in real time uh, with, with our game and, to hopefully develop, and then they can implement those things into the NFL game. So we really have an outstanding partnership. Our leadership group with myself and Doug Will and Russ Brand have a lot of NFL experience, and we know a lot of uh, people in the NFL, Troy Vincent, 
who's the executive vice president of football relations in the NFL. I've known since I was an intern with the with Philadelphia Eagles back in 1997. So we have a really close relationship, and they they it's not just us begging them to want to be a part of it. It's they also want us to be a part of it and work together with them. So it's really super exciting and really, I think, the biggest pillar for us uh, just to get that credibility. We talked about credibility before, but just the fact that, hey, they're giving us their blessing and want to work with us, it's instant credibility. Well, I know a lot of excitement here. Hopefully some players will be impressive enough. We know we've got a lot of talent here in Hawaii. should be a lot of fun next week. Mark, thanks for letting us know exactly what's going on next week. We'll look forward to seeing you here. Sure thing. My pleasure. All right, thank you so much. And that is the Executive Vice President of Football Operations for the XFL, Mark Ross, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. Again, the website to sign up, if you know anybody interested, is showcases.xfl.com, and you can sign up that route. It should be a lot of fun, and hopefully some players will get the opportunity. Uh, one of the offensive coordinators in the league for Seattle, June Jones, will be joining us next Monday to give us more details as well on ESPN Honolulu. And great hearing about the XFL coming to town. It would be great if we get a franchise here at some point, but maybe we need a little bit bigger stadium for that to happen. Uh, here's some great news as we're going to talk some more U8 sports. Gary Dickman and Keegan Ote here with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. We've had a lot of listeners over the last couple of weeks or a month asking about Football tickets for the University of Hawaii, women's volleyball tickets, season tickets, and individual game tickets. So we're going to have some information for you guys right now as we are joined on ESPN Honolulu by assistant coach for the Rainbow Wahine volleyball team. Kaleo Baxter is with us. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I know it's a kind of a time of the year where University of Hawaii sports have ended. Uh, usually happens every May, and then we can't wait for the summer to get here. And in August, we have the season starting for both football and women's volleyball. And people are asking about season ticket renewals. From what I understand, for women's volleyball, the season ticket renewed, they'll be getting sent out rather soon? Yeah, those are going to be sent out uh, very soon. Uh, we are waiting on... Uh, one final contract from uh, one team uh, in regards to our preseason slate, and then uh, we are waiting on just a couple of date changes due to football games at um, at uh, when we're on the road at another school. So we're just waiting on those to get finalized, and then uh, the renewals are going to be sent out. Okay, we'll get into some of the early uh, matches that are on the schedule that have been released before Big West play starts, of course. What about if somebody wants to be like a new season ticket holder? Would that be at the same time as renewals, or is that afterwards? Ooh, that I'm not totally sure. Um, I definitely, they can uh, email my um, email that's on the website, and uh, I can get that information to them um, from our ticket office, but I don't have that information with us right now. So I imagine that would be the same for individual games as well. That'll be later on, or they can get the information later on too? Yes, correct. Season ticket renewals, I, I think, will we'll go out first uh, to those who have season tickets uh, beforehand. Now, from what I understand, seeing some of the dates already released, maybe through other schools, that I know the team will open up on the road at Texas A&M, which is a little different than years past. But for the first home match, the Outrigger Volleyball Challenge, September 1st, 2nd, and 4th, Labor Day weekend. Got some pretty good teams coming in here. And I was excited to see West Virginia among them. I remember Reed Sunahara, their head coach, when he played 
basketball at Hilo High. He was a great volleyball player at UCLA. UCLA will be here, West Virginia and Texas State. Some really good opponents coming in for opening weekend, correct? Yes, we are very excited for our entire preseason schedule. I was joking with Coach Robin. Uh, of the seven teams that we are playing, uh, all of them are were ranked in the top 70 RPI from the 2021 schedule or season, and uh, six of the seven are were ranked in the top 51. So uh, definitely some tough competition, but our team will be up for the challenge. We're talking with Rainbow Wahine assistant volleyball coach Kaleo Baxter here on ESPN Honolulu with the Sports Animal. So when the renewals go out, I just want to get back to that for a second, the people that have season tickets for women's volleyball, they will also be eligible to win some great prizes, an autographed volleyball, season parking pass, which is fantastic, or an apparel prize pack as well. Those are pretty good uh, prizes to give out for some of the season ticket holders. Yeah, uh, when I saw that, that was that was a pretty cool giveaway, and um, I'm excited for whoever's going to get that uh, season pass for the parking. That's a that's a great value right there. Yeah, I would think that might be the most sought after. Although I mean, autographed volleyball. I mean, you don't get that anywhere. I mean, that'd be pretty uh, much of an exclusive gift as well. And the apparel prize pack, I imagine, will be fantastic. But the parking pass, that's one of the first things I thought of, and I know fans will really look forward to that. So those are some of the benefits you get for a season ticket. I mean, great home schedule. You mentioned some of the opponents. Do you have anybody else as far as non-Big West opponents that you know that are coming into town? Uh, yeah, I know the final team that we're waiting on uh, there. Um their contract i believe they might have leaked it on their uh their schedule release but uh just just how we do things at uh we're waiting for the final contract to be fully executed and then we're going to release it um to the public but um you know otherwise we're super excited to go to a&m also they came to us last year and uh that tournament's going to be phenomenal um opening weekend up in uh, college station Never shying away from great competition. We always see that for the University of Hawaii team. Can you give us a little insight into some of the new players that you have signed for this year? I see one that I saw a couple of weeks ago. I remember the last name because Colton Cowell was great on the men's team. You have his sister, Chandler Cowell, coming in for next season as well. Yeah, we're super excited to have Chandler um, on our roster. She uh, entered the portal, and uh, we started that line of communication right away. Uh, she was very um, upfront and clear that she she wanted to come home and and we we absolutely love that as a staff when when local girls know that they want to play for the home team um, you know and we were able to give her that opportunity and we're super excited um, to have her join us and then we have um, well Talia Edmonds have, has already spent the spring season with us and she played in that spring match against Pepperdine um, and then our two freshmen Kaylin Alexander coming all the way from um, Georgia, and then a local product, Jackie Matias, uh, is going to challenge to dish that rock um, in the center's position. So uh, we're, uh, we're excited for, for all the newcomers. And hopefully no restrictions as we're going through uh, COVID still, but still at the end of last season for basketball and uh, men's volleyball, uh, full capacity crowd, so we expect the same for women's volleyball. should be fantastic. And uh, we want to remind people to go to the hawaiiathletics.com uh, website. You can get a lot more information. But renewals will be going out real soon, just getting the schedule finalized, as Clay Ops Baxter told us. And then uh, not that far away. When do you think you guys will start training camp? Do you have a date yet? 
Uh, I think training, well, the girls will report for summer session two, and they'll be doing open gyms on their own. Um, but our official training camp with double days will be around August 9th-ish, and then we're hitting the ground running and uh, the opening weekend out in College Station and uh, uh, another exciting season ahead of us that we're, we're really excited for and looking forward to. All right, we can't wait as well. We'll continue to remind people about the season tickets uh, when the renewals do go out, but they are going out rather soon, as you said. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Great luck this season to you and the team, and I know we'll have you on again from time to time. Thanks so much for having me. Have a good uh, afternoon and uh, weekend. All right, you too. Kaleo Baxter, assistant volleyball coach for the Rainbow Wahine team, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. So I know people have been asking for football and uh, volleyball tickets, and they're both coming right up as far as season tickets, renewal, new season ticket holders, and I think it'll be a hot ticket for both sports. And volleyball now back to full capacity crowd should be fantastic. Back in the home stretch with the sports animals here on ESPN Honolulu, Gary Dickman and Keegan Ota. Uh, I wish I had more time. There's so many more things I actually wanted to go over, but that's okay. One thing I wanted to get in here, um, I saw something last night. It was on Hulu, and in my opinion, might have been the stupidest movie I have ever seen. And that's, that's saying a lot, because I've seen a lot of bad movies. It just came out very recently. It's called Deep Water with Ben Affleck, and I guess that was his current girlfriend about a year ago, uh, Anna Diamas. She's from Cuba. And, you know, you see pictures of them in all the newspapers for a year or two before they broke up for whatever reason. It's in, I'll just give the basics. It's not. I don't want to give anything away in case you want to watch it. If anybody does watch it, I'm curious what you think as far as sharing your opinion. Because I just couldn't get over how bad this was. It's basically they're married, and... Anna Diamas' wife is basically fooling around, mostly just making out, with her current boyfriend right in front of Ben Affleck in the same house at the same party and not thinking twice of it. In fact, actually getting bad at Ben Affleck for messing things up here and there. That's basically the ongoing plot. He doesn't get mad. Well, he does get mad, but he doesn't raise his voice. It's just like he just goes through this like it's everyday life. Um... I'm going to probably watch the end to see if there's anything more to it. I think I have like 30 minutes left. I just, I have never seen a movie with a plot that bad. It is that bad. But let me know if you guys ever check it out. It just came out recently, and it's on Hulu right now. Hey, I do want to give an update. Uh, tomorrow, we've got some great baseball action on CBS 1500. We've got the College World Series, Arkansas versus Stanford. That'll be starting at 7.40 a.m. on CBS 1500. And then following that at 12 p.m., we've got the Cal Ripken 10 and under semifinal game. Uh, it's going to be with Dave Kawada. He's got actually a double header because you got the semifinal at 12, and then at 2 o'clock, we'll have the championship game. So uh, stay tuned for that. Some great action with the local youth baseball leagues here. Cal Ripken has done well over the years. So semifinal and championship starting at noon. Sunday morning we'll have more College World Series action at 740 on CBS 1500. It'll be Texas A&M who lost today to Oklahoma uh, versus the opponent. I'm not sure he even won the Notre Dame-Texas game, but the loser of that game. And then at 1240, Oklahoma will get the winner of the Texas-Notre Dame game. 
Okay, Texas A&M versus Texas. Thank you, Keegan. Which means Notre Dame will be facing Oklahoma in the second game on Sunday. So we'll have you covered with the college baseball World Series as well. Real quick, when I talk about NBA futures, so to speak, I'm looking at four or five years from now. And to me, the top four players, I don't know how the rookies are going to do in the next year or two, but four years from now, I think Steph Curry, LeBron, a lot of guys will be gone. Durant, here are my top four players in the NBA. Jean Moran, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jalen Brown, who I think really, really took a step up in his skill set and just improvement and just impressed me for one. I think impressed a lot of people. And Anthony Edwards, uh, second-year guy out of Minnesota, I think fantastic year. They made the playoffs. Those are my top four players four years from now. I do want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day, especially the dads out there. Hopefully you get a lot of relaxation, a lot of good gifts, and everything you are looking for. Thanks for being dads out there. Chris and I will see you Monday at 3 o'clock. June Jones will be on the show as well. Thanks to Keegan Ota. Have a great weekend and Father's Day, everybody. Aloha.